2: Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox podcast with Tanny and Herb. Herb.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. You can follow me on Twitter, Ecknerwall That is Lawrence spelled backwards, 23, Rob Ventura's number. Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill on Twitter, and our show is at Locked On Sox on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Go and subscribe so we can send you out a prize pack, maybe. I don't know. Randomly too, right, Chris? It's
2: totally random. And if so, you if you suck up to voice. me, that doesn't mean you're gonna get a price back.
1: Yeah, we're not throwing names into a hat and picking them out. You know, we're we got favorites. We play favorites. Sorry guys. <laughs> uh so for with no further ado, there is Chris Tannehill, or as it says on the screen, Otilia Tannehill. You yeah, I'll tell you.
2: yeah. I'm. Uh, oh, okay. I'm doing good, Herb. Um, yeah, I. Uh, my husband Chris is uh, murdered and set on fire while celebrating his birthday. I'm on my wife's Zoom account tonight because uh, we've got guests tonight. We've got multiple guests here. Uh, the Future Sox list of top 30 Sox prospects drops today. Uh, so, joining us to commemorate this special occasion, we have from Future Sox the senior editor and co-host of the Future Sox podcast. He's also the editor and writer for Southside side socks we've got james fox here and also the editor-in-chief of future socks mike rankin how's it going guys thanks for joining us today
0: thanks chris this is great appreciate you having us on no
3: yeah, doubt. thanks for having us guys
2: absolutely all right so let's get into it so I was thinking about all the logistics that are in play when you're making a list like this you know it's got to it has to have been the most challenging list you guys could possibly have done when you did it with the limited access and the no minor league season last year take us through the process of how you guys went about and made these evaluations and how difficult it may have been to construct this list
0: yeah that's a great question because when we were coming together to discuss we, we had to be realistic about where our evaluations were without really seeing these players in person. James and a few of our writers were able to see some of the guys at the alternate site in Schaumburg, but realistically, a lot of the names, they haven't played since 19 and then early 20 prior to the shutdown. So we really did have to rely on publications, Baseball America, The Athletic, MLB Pipeline. We took a lot of that into account. We spoke to uh, industry sources as well to come up with a consistent top 30 because we don't want to be super off-base to the national scene as well uh, when we compare them. So James, myself, Dan Santoromita, we got all of our writers who wanted to participate together and we spent time on a Zoom call and collaborated. That that word that Ryan Pace loves to use in creating a list that's consistent and I thought that was a very a, a very rewarding process because we were all on the same page and allowed us to talk through things And I think, James, I think you could agree. We we put together a pretty good list this time.
3: Yeah, I like the way we did it. I think it was necessary to do it the way we did it. Usually guys, we just, you know, if there's like eight people participating, we each submit like our 30 and then kind of take the aggregate and that's the list. I mean, there's, you know, sometimes we'll notice we think a guy is too low or whatever and like fix it. But, you know, usually we just like take the aggregate of the list and there was no way that. We, I guess, could do that this year just because you know, I think we had to agree on kind of where guys needed to be. And look, there's certain guys that we haven't seen that other publications have, like you know, might have at 12 or 13, and then all of a sudden our aggregate has them like a little bit lower. We didn't really want that to happen, so we kind of just wanted to be on the same page making it.
1: Before we get to the actual list, I want to know what makes a prospect because I see on certain lists that people have graduated from being a prospect. Some people haven't played in the majors. Some have played in the majors. What is yours or anybody else's definition
3: of a prospect in this regard? So, you know, generally it's rookie status. So for pitchers, it's 50 innings pitch and they're off the list Uh, for hitters, 130 at bats, but it's also weird, like with service time. So it's 45 days um on an active roster but that usually means non-September day because like if you're playing like with the whole huge roster like those days don't count last year was weird Um so we counted September days last year because it like everybody played again you know with the normal roster so Baseball America is the only publication they don't consider service time at all so they just do 130 at bats 50 innings pitch so if you were to look at their list they have Cody Hoyer Zach Collins and like Matt Foster on it. Nobody, they're like the only ones though. So everybody typically just does rookie status, those three things. And then that's how they graduate. So there are some guys on like lists that are like five at bat shy right now. And they're going to be off like after the first weekend of games or whatever. And then there'll be new guys on
2: so there had to have been some arguments along the way about where certain guys happen to fall on the list. take me behind the scenes here. Who's who's got the veto power in terms of like okay, I am the I am the overruling body here. This is my list. Damn it. How do you guys uh you know sort through that when you're talking you know, you're trying to work out your consensus with all all the people who are uh, working for Future Socks.
0: So I think uh in this process we made sure to take the opinion seriously of those you know, fringe prospects at certain ranks um they had to have seen them, right? So those are the priorities. When we talked to our guy Sean Williams out in the Arizona League, when he was giving us evaluations of the 19-year-olds, we really did take that seriously. Uh, as well as when James and our guy Sleepy Harold Steve Hasman seeing these players at the alternate site in Schaumburg, you know, they have the priority in saying, "Okay, what did you see?" Because the last time I saw a lot of these players was spring training 2020 and 2019. So, uh, and then we just have the, the group effort, you know, I think it's, it's a democracy the way we did it. So if three people said this and two people said that, well, then we're going with this. And I think James, when we were going over things, I think the consensus was there across the top six, seven, uh, but below that, then a lot of the conversations started to get interesting. So I'm really looking forward to the readers, uh, giving us feedback and seeing what they think of our list.
3: Yeah. Cause I think three and four, um, like three and four is a little bit controversial and it didn't go the way I necessarily like thought it would. So I guess like, what do you guys think with Nick Madrigal and Garrett Crochet? Who do you have three?
1: Well, for me, I would probably have Garrett Crochet as the three, but you know, I don't watch these guys. I trust your opinion over mine. A hundred percent. I just think of what is this player going to project to be in the majors long-term? And I think Garrett Crochet will have a better career than Nick Madrigal. It'll be close, but I project him to be the better player of the two. Well,
2: using that logic, Herb, I think I you know I, normally we're lockstep on where we're the uh, the not anti magical show, but we're just like the okay, whatever. Enough of, of Nick Magical. But I think if you're talking about grading out an entire career, like I think you can pencil him in there at second base, and you know what he's going to hit for the most part. You know, he had a shaky year defensively in 2020 and his limited appearances there, but I think you know he's going to give you a good glove out there. So I would think Magical would be the guy. That's like more surefire, just because of injuries with starting pitchers, and it's so it's such a, a, a roll of the dice when you're talking about top tier arms like that. You know, it's only a matter of when sometimes with these guys. So that's why I would say Madrigal probably would be, would go ahead of Crochet in, in my. So book. one of us is going to be right in a second. <laughs>
3: yeah, point. yeah. See, so- that's the that's the interesting
0: part of that conversation. We take all of that into account, and you know, we're looking at the upside with Crochet, and then as a position player, you see the value in the day to day in Madrigal's case. So that's, that's what we do. Those are the types of discussions, for example, uh, that, that went on in that group call um, that put together the 30 list.
3: Yeah. And like the list is like technically out once people can hear this. Right. So like we, you know, we have Garrett Crochet at three. I sided with Madrigal at three and like most of that was just like safety for me just cause like, I think we were, we're under the impression that the White Sox actually believe Garrett Crochet can start and I think he can start, but I just, I worry about their plan for him. Like, I just, I don't know. After seeing him in relief, I'm still apprehensive to the fact that like, I, I just, I'm not sure he's ever going to start because he's never going to have the innings, um, but he does have like significantly more upside than. Than Nick Madrigal does one of our writers like on the call kind of said like you know he was thinking five years from now if Garrett Crochet ends up being what we think he can we're gonna we could look back and be like you know how did we have Nick Madrigal ahead of Garrett Crochet on this on this list, you know? So you know the other the thing with Madrigal, and I don't know if you guys talked about it on your show, he had what he hit like 340, right? But it was he had the lowest uh, OPS ever for somebody that hit 340 like <laughs> over like a season, which hmm. isn't surprising at all. I think his OPS was like 745.
2: Yeah, we say on the show like Nick Madrigal is going to hit 400 one day, and you're just going to be like, eh, "This is a fine year." <laughs> like, yeah. like, what did he do for you? He got on base at 401 or whatever, you know. But the thing that's the funny thing about Crochet though, you know, they have this plan for Michael Kopech and his innings, and they, they want him to be a-, a-, a starter by the time the year's end. But I worry, not I don't worry about it because I think it's the best thing for the ball club now but you know my concern with crochet in terms of his big picture development is that he's going to be a guy that's going to be used as your andrew miller type super reliever you know when bummer's not in there so like they're just going to use him. they're not going to have him on a, a strict plan as they will with with Kopech. and that may be okay for this year and it may get a ring out of it but in terms of his overall development i don't know where that leaves you with him especially the, what we're looking at next year in a possible work stoppage it's really con- it's kind of concerning big picture anyway
0: That's yeah. Yeah. That's James. Like we talk about this all the time, right. On the podcast, the future of crochet. Is it beneficial to have him a part of this win now white Sox to potentially jeopardize the fact that he could be a long-term starter. Like that's what we want to see. We want crochet to be a starter.
3: I just think the problem is like, we don't know how many innings he's allowed. Right. So like if I knew that it would help me, right. Like if he can throw 80 innings or 90 innings, then sure. Throw 90 of them in Chicago instead of, 25 or whatever, like in the minors and that just do them all here, which like, I understand. I just, you know, like, I, I just don't think he's going to throw 90 innings in the big leagues. And then they're going to jump him to one hundred and forty as a starter in the big leagues next year. I just don't see it. So he might be Josh Hader. He might be awesome. I just, you know, I, I wish he's like, he would be afforded the chance to start at some point. Cause I think that's what they drafted him to do.
1: And the last thing I have for you before we get to the meat of this list is we see with these trades, this, offseason a lot of 18 19 year old high upside very far away from the major league guys getting traded for big time guys like you Darvish and the Padres swapping picks are there available guys in the White Sox farm system right now that are comparable to the guys that the Cubs picked up for you Darvish
0: yes Uh, and that's very exciting because when you look at you know, deeper into the system. And a lot of these 19, 20-year-olds who are listed in our top 30 have value to land a top player, whether it's a starting pitcher or whatever Rakon deems the team needs. It's, It's a very interesting situation the White Sox are in because I think this year there's going to be a lot of teams selling and not a lot of teams buying. And for the Sox to have this type of depth, And especially like you were talking about the value of these 19 year olds, they stockpiled over the last two drafts and internationally too. There's a lot of young international prospects that the jury is still out. Some of them, and we could talk about this as as the list goes on here that haven't come stateside yet. So what do the scouts deem is, is the value of these guys. But I know that if you base a trade around maybe a, a high end, close to major league ready, player in the system or even a major league player at the Sox in the big leagues, and then throw in some complimentary 19 year olds. The Sox have, I think among the best position in terms of teams that are uh, capable of doing that. So that's something to keep an eye on.
3: Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I think the guys need to play though. Right. So like they're on our list, but we just like, don't know. They have so many guys that are going to play like in low eight Canapolis for the first time that could like fall on their face and never be heard from again, or you know, they could be in the top 10 of our list next year. And, you know, they're like prime trade candidates. Cause at this point, like they should be loading the list up with like high school draft picks and like young international guys specifically to trade them because they're, you know, like you, you just, you need that capital. Like Herb said, it's like the currency right now. Nobody's trading for 24 year old college guys that were picked in the first round two years ago. Like they went 18 and 19 year olds. And You know, I don't think that the Sox have have some and they have more on the pitching side than on the position player side. But we just we have to see these guys play finally. And it's good that they're like going to
2: one more quick one before we get to the list itself and some of the guys on it. Do you think that's a philosophy in baseball that's that's changing in terms of the high upside high school kids is it is it symptomatic of the pandemic and saving money and not having to pay these guys for a long time or is it sort of a, a, a shift in philosophy in the way teams are looking at things is it maybe the work stoppage looming next year like what spurred this this change and is it do you think this is going to be around for a while this the way they look at these uh, young kids now
3: so I, I think like looking at it from like the like even the cubs perspective like i for whatever reason like top top prospects that everybody's heard of like don't get traded anymore like I think Luis Patino went to the Rays he's like similar to Kopech in value but other than that like those guys just like I don't know how like these teams are able to just say like these five guys are off limits and they still make trades right so instead of taking an older guy then you'll take four 19 year olds hoping that two of those guys are on a top 100 list 18 months from now right so you just like take guys far away it's what Preller did with Fernando Tatis it was The Sox were never trading Tim Anderson. They weren't trading Carson Fulmer. They should have, but they weren't. And they took a guy way down the list and like, you know, it ended up panning out. I I just think that's what it is. You just, they, you'd rather gamble on upside and trust your scouts than take a guy that, you know, might be to the big leagues quicker, but not as, not as good potentially.
0: And something real quick that I'd like to add, I think something that plays to this as well is the evolution of the athlete. I mean, we're seeing these younger high school college players developing at such a more efficient rate with the technology and also just you know the the science in maintaining your body and you see the young players come up and play in the big leagues quickly and then those are the players that organizations are investing in long term on and especially in the White Sox case on their terms so it, like what James is saying you take a risk on a high upside play multiple high upside plays one of them pans out you got a Fernando Tatis for 14 years.
2: We're going to take a quick timeout here on Locked on White Sox. And on the other side of this break, you're going to hear about some of the guys in the top half of the top 30 list. We'll get to Andrew Vaughn at number one. Does the bat play? We'll talk about some of the guys in the bullpen and maybe even see if we can figure out this outfield log jam we've got going on here that some of you guys ask us about during the mailbag segments. But keep it right here. We're back with James Fox and Mike Rankin of Future Sox right here on Locked on White Sox. This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Now, pro football may be over, but BetOnline.ag perfectly seems right into NBA, college hoops, And even the NHL, which are all in full swing right now. And don't forget, folks, MLB Futures. Herb and I are going to talk about some of those futures bets that you can place at BetOnline.ag. You want to know what the White Sox odds are to win the division? What about the pennant? What about the World Series? You can go to BetOnline.ag now and check out those odds. We're going to bring you our futures show coming up before the end of spring training here. We're going to place our bets from BetOnline.ag live on the show. You can also bet on award shows, TV shows, and even reality TV at betonline.ag. Their odds are updated in real time and props on almost anything you can possibly imagine. We're going to try to recoup some of our losses from the big game a couple weekends ago. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best place to place your bets. And best of all, it's free to sign up. Just head to the website now on your mobile device or sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook, Experts and don't forget our promo code. So important, you go to betonline.ag, sign up for your free account, enter our promo code Locked On at betonline.ag. Your online sportsbook experts. Locked On White Sox is also brought to you by our friends at RockAuto.com. You know, friends, there's so many different makes and models of automobiles these days. It's become nearly impossible to stock all the parts that your car's ever going to need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure that process of the intimidating questioning? Like, is your car an LX or an EX? While you wait for the person at the counter to search their computer for their inventory that they only carry there at that moment, why do that when you have access to a vast catalog of auto parts right there in your pocket on your phone? And it's rockauto.com, of course. You know, there's a lot of reasons to maintain your automobile, but. With spring coming, winter hopefully is on its way out, you're going to want to make sure your car is ready. If you want to take some road trips, you know, get back out there once the world opens up again. Make sure everything your car is running tip-top. So to do that, you get all the parts your car is going to need at rockauto.com. Their catalog is vast, and they've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet for your ride. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in just a few clicks delivered right to your door rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com now and find auto parts from hundreds of manufacturers and when you do so, don't forget our promo code LOCKEDON in their How'd You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. That's promo code LOCKEDON at rockauto.com Amazing selection, reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need only at rockauto.com February is Black History Month and the Lockdown Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of Black men and women in sports with a new series called On" presents more than a game right now you can hear candace cooper of the lockdown tar heels and erica ayala of On women's basketball discuss the opportunities and challenges that come with being a black woman in sports subscribe to the On presents podcast feed on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts and now back to On white Sox with our special guests from future Sox.
1: All right, guys. So how about we get to your top 30 list from Future Stocks? It is Mike Rankin, who you ju- just heard from and James Fox with us today. It's Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. How about we do this? We go from 30 up to the top and I'll talk about this guy that I specifically want to know about and why he is on the second half of this list. All right. So 30, you have Chase Krogman. 29, Caleb Freeman. And stop me if you ever, ever want to just talk about one of these guys in, in particular. 28 is Bailey Horn. He's a left-handed starting pitcher. Yolbert Sanchez, the shortstop. Uh, 26 is Tyler Johnson, right-handed reliever or uh, right-handed relieving pitcher. Yeah. 25 is the guy that we saw last year for a little bit. Bernard, Bernardo Flores, a left-handed pitcher. Uh, 28, third baseman, DJ Gladney. 23, Cade McClure, right-handed starting pitcher. 22, he's got an award named after him. It's the James Beard Award in the outfield. My like cracking. And 21, Benjamin Bailey outfielder. 20 is Jose Rodriguez. And number 19 is the guy that I want to stop at. A guy that was killing rookie ball, killing his first major league season. His name is Bryce Bush. He's cracky. an outfielder. Tell me a little bit about Bryce Bush, because in 2018, I was like, oh, man. They got a steal in the 33rd round, I believe it was. This kid is 18. He's already tearing up, you know, rookie leagues. And then, you know, he's 18 and 19. So he struggled in the second major league or
0: second professional
1: year. Tell us a little bit about Bryce Bush.
0: So in his first professional season, his first full professional season, at 19, he took on low A Kannapolis. I mean, it's full season, you know, single A. And that was a lot on him. Bryce Bush is a very athletic, uh, smaller in stature, but he's got a lot of power in that compact frame of his. And we're kind of we're – we're thinking about where he's going to land. You know, he's listed as a third baseman, also can be in an outfielder, but his bat generates so much power. His hands are fast and a lot of bat speed. So you see the exit velocity when he connects – that's why you fall in love with a Bryce Bush. And he's, you know, he's pretty athletic. The concern that we have is how that'll translate wild swings, swing and miss rate where he's going to play defensively. And you, like we, we discussed the, the problem with losing out and evaluating in a season last year, these guys are playing by, you know, doing their own things. How did that affect a guy like Bryce Bush? And without, you know, to extend on that without a great falls a short season rookie affiliate where 19 year olds, not necessarily Bryce Bush, but other 19 year olds can work on their crap before hitting a full season. Like how does that impact their development? And in Bryce Bush, Bush's case, I think it humbled him. The White Sox pushed him in nine, when he was a 19 year old at full season canny. So with a full season now, you know, we'll see how he develops. but yeah, the, the upside is there because of, that bat, the exit velocity is something that you fall in love with with a Bryce Bush.
3: Well, and he had, he had injuries too, and he he had like an eye issue. So like he legit couldn't see and then got glasses um, and was better, I think, to close out the year. But yeah, just like, you know, super aggressive northern kid, but, he, you know, really good bat speed, big power. But the one good thing like that he has on his side is age, right? Like I think he's 20, And he's, he's probably going to have to go to Winston-Salem because of the minor league reshuffling, which kind of stinks. And he missed out on last year and now he's like jumping a level, but I mean, it's like sink or swim time for a lot of these guys. So we're going to find out like whether he can handle it. But the one thing that's good is that he's, you know, he didn't miss a season and now he's 25. He missed a season and he's 20. So he's still, you know, within range. I think we have him at 19 behind, um, some older outfielders that people have heard of and, you know. If you wanted to put Bryce Bush higher, like 13, 14, like I would understand it. I think we went with proximity to majors a little bit with some of the older outfielders that people have you know, heard more about and that are in big league spring training right now. I'm
2: going to jump ahead to 15. Jimmy Lambert is the guy that we saw a little bit last year before the injury shortened his season. Dallas Keuchel raving about him the other day when he reported to camp just saying he likes everything about him, the way he approaches everything. Where do you see his fit, Jimmy Lambert's fit, on this version of the white Sox, like there's not a whole lot of room in this bullpen you know i don't know if he stretched out enough after the injury to for a spot start maybe an opener type situation but where do you guys see him uh, his role in 2021
3: so you know i think they're probably going to start him in charlotte he'll probably start too i don't know why like i i guess i assumed after the second arm injury that he might be like a reliever full-time Um, but apparently not. Apparently he's, he's fine. And they can, they can have him start and still pitch out of the bullpen in the big leagues if they need to. I mean, I think he's competing for like a big league job in some fashion, but I mean, look, if there's, unless they have a bunch of injuries, like he's not making this team, like they're, they're too good on the pitching side right now, but he's, that's a good guy to have in Charlotte. He looked really good last year uh, for the limited amount of time that he was there. His stuff really played up in the bullpen. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we have him at 15 because he's a, you know, we think he can still start. Um, If he was relief only, he'd probably be down a little bit further. But, you know, with that chance to start, that's why we have him where we do. And I think, look, I think he'll probably, he'll probably factor in. He just won't, he just won't at the beginning.
0: I think what was concerning too, real quickly on Lambert is, you know, he ramped it up pretty quickly after the Tommy John surgery and then dealt with another forearm injury that ended his season so when you talk about him starting keep that in mind so I think the White Sox are going to be cautious with Lambert he is a projectable starter he's got upside there he's got a starter's repertoire but I think for my personal opinion I see him as a major league reliever
1: and the guy right ahead of Bryce Bush is a guy we saw last year local product from Downers Grove Zach Brody I have been wanting to see this kid ever since he was in AAA a couple of years ago, I believe that was, and then he got hurt. Good to see him last year, but he had pretty terrible stuff, um, didn't know where to locate his pitches, and he was getting hit every time he was out there. And a
2: manager that didn't trust him particularly.
1: Not at all, but you guys still have, it looks like, some type of belief in him.
0: Why? James, let me take this one (laughs) because I am, I'm really excited about Zach Birdie. Birdie is one of those under the radar relievers that I think because of the experience he had last year is going to do him wonders this season. He had a full off season now without any injuries that he has to rehab from. And he talked about some simple changes that allowed him to find consistency in his delivery. It's a small thing that he found on Twitter that we found really interesting and it was, it was his hips, right? He talked about it on our podcast, you know, baseball technicalities, pitchers, this and that, but it helped him and his stuff is, is there. The stuff is real. And like you said, Herb, he missed in his location a lot. The fastball, upper nineties, which was really encouraging after all of the issues that he dealt with across his career injury wise, that is the first step. And we saw that last year, the velocity was there, hard slider was back because remember when they drafted him in the first round was at 2016, he jumped to triple a in a year, and he was ticketed to get to the big leagues quickly. And they loved him because of the high upside late inning high leverage stuff, hundred mile an hour fastball. So because he has the velocity back, it's telling me that next season, like this upcoming season, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. And with the experience combined on top of what he you know was able to put together last year, some mechanical tweaks, we'll see how he progresses. I'm, I'm optimistic. I think this is somebody that we can, we can say is going to surprise some people.
3: Yeah. So like, for me, I just was glad that the, you know, I had heard before he got called up, um, from people in Schaumburg that like the stuff was all the way back. And then like, we saw that it was all the way back. Like Herb mentioned, uh, control and command has always been an issue, but without the stuff being back, like he's basically like nothing to me. So like, at least like now he's an option because he's throwing a hundred again with a hard slider. I mean, it, it was a long road back from Tommy John and multiple leg injuries. I mean, he was throwing like 94, you know, like the, you know, before, The season restarted last year. So I was like really surprised that he looked honestly as good as he looked. And then, you know, he got, he gave up like four or five homers in the big leagues, which happens, but you know, it's a, I think the bullpen's the the best part of the team. So it's going to be a tough like position for him to crack.
2: This is going to be a big spring for these three guys here, and, and appropriately, they're ranked 12, 13, and 14. Luis Gonzalez, Blake Rutherford, Mike Rodolfo. We get tons of questions about Mike Rodolfo. We talked to, to Foxy before about this. Um, is, is the 2022 right fielder in that group of guys uh, and if if not maybe down the road but out of any of those three guys which guy for each of you do you think has the most likely uh hit rate like again i know a lot of this is contingent on how they perform this spring and maybe they take the next step but we've been talking about these guys forever mike rodolfo being signed as a teenager in 2013 i feel like he's 50 years old at this point but what what do we do what do we make of these three guys here uh, in 2021 what's going to be important for their next step
0: yeah. So I'll start with Mick Adolfo. He had the two arm surgeries, you know, Tommy John, he had at the time before that surgery, the best arm in the system among outfielders. Then, you know, it, it was a tough pill to swallow to see that when he returned the second time, there wasn't a lot there. He was late in his timing. The mechanics were off and he actually spoke to Clinton Cole about this in a previous future Sox podcast last year he talked about the mental space that was an issue for him he wanted to figure out why the bat wasn't there and it's tough when you have an injury a severe injury you miss a significant amount of time you come back then the offseason you know they sent him to the on Fall League struggled mightily comes back in spring training in 2020 struggled mightily again when I saw him it looked like he just didn't he didn't have good pitch recognition, pitch, pitch selection. He was swinging at it was super late. Everything was off in his game. Now that doesn't mean that his, you know, his status as a prospect and potential is over. I'm just sort of down on, on Micker Adolfo right now. He has to prove to me that he can get back to, you know, what we were feeling when they signed him that big power bat, And that's all you're looking for at this point for Adolfo in right field for him to make bat-to-ball skill apparent, and then also have that exit velo that we love. Um, but among those three, and Luis Gonzalez, Rutherford, and Adolfo, I think I'm the highest on Blake Rutherford. To answer your question, Chris, like if if you want to talk about a guy who has the best shot to make a consistent career as a professional, somehow, some way, I think it's Ruther- – now, we had Gonzalez above Rutherford because the upside – as a center fielder, and maybe a little bit more power than Gonzalez has. But I like Rutherford's overall game. He put on size, and that's not to say that it'll generate more power. It's more so, for me, Rutherford put on the size so he can be a major league contributor. You want to see the the exit velo fine, but you got to be able to have enough strength to muster the ball to left center, hit the gaps, because he's not a power bat. And he doesn't have very good speed. He's a very average runner, too but he's a pretty decent hitter. And I think that'll play with the white Sox right now. And I think I just haven't seen enough from Luis Gonzalez that tells me that he's above Rutherford at this point, but I think I'm, I think Rutherford's taken steps over the last two seasons to give us some optimism. I'm using that word a lot, but I think Rutherford among those three is the one you want to keep an eye on.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a lot of scouts think Rutherford is left field only because of the throwing arm. So You know, he's going to have to hit, he's going to go to Charlotte though, which, which helps. And I think they still have some of the juiced up baseballs down there. So I hope Rutherford hits enough to get traded for something that would be ideal for me. Um, I had him a little bit lower down on my personal list. And then, you know, Luis Gonzalez, I like, but I don't think he could start in right field for the White Sox, if that makes sense. Right. Like I think Luis Gonzalez, if he was on the pirates, he could be their center fielder for, you know, three years during a rebuild and have some value for, you know, teams that are bad. And I think he can play in center and be fine. But, you know, for a, for a team trying to take first place in the division, Luis Gonzalez is probably a fourth outfielder type for the Sox because of the center field value. He's just not going to hit enough to play in a corner, I don't, or for enough power to play in a corner, I don't think.
1: 2013, the White Sox drafted Tim Anderson in the first round. Since then, whew, it's been tough. Carlos Rodon, Carlson Fulmer, Zach Collins, and we just talked about Zach Birdie. The guy in 2017 is the guy that I want to talk about from Missouri state. It's Jake Berger. We know a story. He's got the Achilles, uh, tended tear multiple tears. Um, how's Jake Berger doing? And I know James, you're down there in, uh, Schaumburg. I don't know if he was there at the same time you were. How is he doing now? Why is he on your list at I think 16 here?
3: Yeah. Cause he looks great. I mean, he's, he's uh, skinny he like looks smaller than he ever has and look I kind of thought like that was a little bit overrated in the first place like he could play third at Missouri State like I thought he was going to be able to play third even though he was like a little bit bigger now you blow out two Achilles who knows but the thing with Jake Berger he's always been able to hit and he can still hit so I think we had him Mike I think we had him like 30 two lists ago and that was back when we kind of thought his career like is probably over and then he plays in the college league last year I saw him personally twice in Schaumburg Um, And he looks like pretty much back. I mean, but the thing with him too, he hasn't played higher than a ball. So we're going to find out how important like minor league baseball actually is. I think this year, because I think they, you know, he's in big league camp. If Charlotte starts on time, are they going to just send him right to Charlotte? Are they going to keep him in Arizona and send him to Birmingham? I don't know, but he's, he's going to be in an advanced affiliate. And uh, you know, after these top four guys, that we're going to talk about graduate this year. I mean, he might, he's going to be back in the top 10 and he's on the 40 man roster. And Tony La today said that he's, you know, one of the guys competing with Andrew Vaughn. I don't totally believe that. I think that's just (laughs) a light of fire under Vaughn, but you know, I mean, he's in big league camp. So he's, he technically he's got a shot.
0: What's interesting about Berger was prior to the 2020 shutdown, he was ticketed for a full season in minor league baseball, which was, Step one, we wanted him to be healthy, and he was. And then you saw him slim down a little bit. The Batsby was there. He was open about his mental health, saying he's back in the right mindset and he's excited to play baseball again. And it's the right spot for him. I think the White Sox have invested a lot of time and resources in getting Jake Berger right so this is going to be, like you said, a big year for him. And yeah, we had him at 30 because we just didn't know two, two lists ago. And now, you know, he's climbing the list quickly because yeah, the bad is real. And that's why the Sox took him. It's still there. And as long as he stays healthy, you want to see him get that timing back, his body right, maintain a full season. Yeah. You, you never know.
2: You mentioned Andrew Vaughn. Let's just get to him here. We don't have a ton of time, but uh, the number one ranked prospect on your guys' list is Andrew Vaughn. We talked about him a lot this offseason in terms of what to do at the DH spot. How confident are you guys that he can be the day one DH? Is the bat that good? Is is he a day one starter? Obviously, there's a lot of things, a lot of variables there. Maybe a long-term contract is in the works for him, but uh, how the confidence level for you guys on Andrew Vaughn right now, where does it sit?
3: Well, I know Mike's super confident, and I'll you know I'll let him get to that in a second. But I just think on this team, it's probably fine, right? It's like not what everybody wanted. I think I I even would have preferred like another bat at DH and make Andrew Vaughn force his way. And I I just think that while we feel like this is aggressive, I think the Sox think they're being conservative because I think there's people there that wish they would have called him up and replaced Encarnacion last year, and had they. I feel like we wouldn't be having this conversation because we just assume that he's on the team. Right. And they didn't do that. So, um, yeah, we're going to see, I mean, it's going to be a big test. I think he can handle it, but I think it's one of those things where he's going to have to like prove it to people because he hasn't played above high A and, you know, I think he got a lot of good work in at the alternate site, but like, you know, you can't expect people to know or like believe that he got all this. Nobody saw him. Nobody knows. So, um, I do think it's going to be him for the majority of the season And what's he going to hit seventh on this team? Eighth. So, you know, he's, he's got to be better than their DH production last year, which shouldn't be hard, but you also don't want to like stunt him, you know, starting him too soon. Like they have with prospects in the past. I think he's capable.
0: I don't know if they're going to do that. And I agree with James. I think it'll be beneficial for Vaughn to have some at bats uh, across the season, allow him to struggle at a minor league level and then overcome those. But yeah, no, he's definitely capable. This is an advanced hitter. Uh, you, you watch him in his plate approach. It reminds me of Chris Bryant when he first came up. That pitch recognition, the, the way that he swings at pitches in the strike zone and consistently finds barrels, um, and, he, and he gets on base, he can walk. This is a major league hitter, and I'm, like, I, I'm not over the top in saying that he's going to come up and bust out right away. I think when you come down and take a step back, realistically, this is somebody who can handle major league pitching at this point in his career. And like James said, he hasn't played above high A yet and only worked at the alternate site, but at the alternate site, really, really positive reviews against major league pitching.
1: Last thing I got for you guys is are the guys that we haven't talked about. Is there a person that stands out to you that you want to give a little shout out to go out? Go ahead first, Mike.
0: Sure. Uh, And I want to give a shout out too to Jasper Roos, because he put this, Interesting thought in my head when he put together his individual top 30 is Jared Kelly could be the number one prospect in the White Sox system um, next year or even by the time the midseason prospect list comes out in August. I mean, this is somebody that who already had a very encouraging build It's 6'3", 210, 215 when he was drafted out of high school. White Sox are taking high school pitching and Andrew Dahlquist, Matthew Thompson, and Jared Kelly in high rounds. And speaking of those two as well, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, Thompson, according to baseball America, I guess the White Sox were encouraged to say that Thompson's the best athlete in their system as a pitcher. And then Andrew Dahlquist for him as a 20 year old, you know, has started a repertoire that can translate. I think he's got four pitches and his his delivery is consistent release point consistent and deceptive good stuff really good stuff so we'll see those three i'm really looking i'm i'm a huge fan of pitching um and then james before i throw it to you gavin sheets gavin sheets keep an eye on gavin sheets this year that is somebody that i think can take the next step here
3: yeah so i think you know kelly a little bit is the obvious name. Cause he's five on the list and he's probably going to be their top prospect, either him or whoever they take in the first round in July. Um, but yeah, Matthew Thompson, like very positive reviews, just that he's, you know, he's added muscle and he's like the most athletic guy in the system. Um, his stuff ticked down a little bit in high school. Sox got him in the second round, but I mean, him and Dawquist have only thrown like three or four innings, like combined in pro ball so far. So those guys are going to be in Kanapolis. They're going to be uh, interesting to watch. I agree with the Gavin Sheets um, call. So Gavin Sheets is playing some outfield. So he's he's going to play right or left um, in Charlotte, which is smart for him. And I didn't know that he could do it, but apparently scouts have said like, yeah, they think it's possible. Um, and that completely changes his profile. Because if, I mean, if he's first base only on this White Sox team, like he's probably got to get traded to play. That opens him up to like actually be a contributor here rather than... You know, having to hit 25 bombs in Charlotte and then get traded for something.
2: Last thing for me, and we appreciate you guys uh, hanging out with us tonight. Uh, I remember in 2019 uh, when I was at SoxFest, I remember Rick Hahn saying that the, the the health of the organization was as good as it had been in in years. And I know it's probably not fair to judge the health of an organization coming out of a pandemic, coming out of a pandemic, and also uh, at the the final stages of a rebuild where most of your top tier guys are at the major league level but how would you guys say the health of the organization st- stands right now what, what do you guys think about the white Sox big picture really zooming out of top to bottom
3: so i mean i'm a fan like that's where i i take a little bit of offense i guess when like there, there's a lot on Twitter about how this is like the same off season as 2015 or whatever. Right. Cause they, they signed a closer, which is like David Roberts Robertson and they traded for a pitcher with one year left on his deal and all that fine. Like you can make those comparisons, but the organization's in a much better spot than it was. There was no farm system before, which is exactly the reason why they had to do the rebuild. And did it go a little longer than some people thought? Sure. But you know, I, I think Chris Getz is really good at what he does. Um, they, they've become more modern, you know, five to 10 years too late, but it's better than never is what I like to say. Um, pro scouting side has been, you know, pretty bad for years. I mean, that's how you end up with James Shields. Um, so Nick Hostetler moved over to that side. They hired Ben Hansen as a biomechanical engineer, like their official biomechanical engineer. Apparently he's doing stuff on the pro scouting side too. So finally, yes, they're doing some of the things that other organizations have done. I think they're in in a lot, in a much better spot. I mean, look, the system rankings are going to be lower. Like when you lose four guys that they're going to lose, I mean, they're probably going to stay in the low twenties for a little bit, but at this point you just, you know, you want to have enough guys in the system to trade. And even back when you guys know, like back when their system wasn't very good, Kenny Williams could always make trades somehow he always found people to take their prospects like there, there was, I mean, you get Jake Peavy and you get whoever, and their systems were ranked in the twenties then too. So yeah, I I think the organization's the healthiest it's been um, in, in quite some time personally.
0: Yeah. And Mike Shirley too, I think knocked it out of the park. The new director of amateur scouting in his first draft, taking crochet and Kelly one, two, a couple of filler picks three, four because of the slot value that they spent on the first two picks, but then Bailey Horn, the fifth rounder, pretty, Pretty interesting name to keep an eye on as well this year. Four-year starter um, coming in his first professional season. So in terms of the depth of this system, it's not going to crack any maybe top tens once the top five guys in the Sox graduate. But this is enough, like James is saying, to you know manipulate maybe some trades as well, and like that, that's valuable because the Sox are trying to win now but also like the international classes and and the signings and a lot of the depth that they have in that. I know there's a lot of unknown there, but there's a lot there. Like James put together a 25 just miss list. There's a 25 extra process, prospects in the Sox system <laughs> outside of the top 30 at this point that mm-hmm. we could be very encouraged about. So yeah, this is a very healthy position to be in for the White Sox. And even if they're just middle tier in terms of their minor league system, that's fine. This is this is good because the, the scouting process, like James has said, has taken that step uh, and it's very good to see.
2: That's Mike Rankin, James Fox, Future Sox. The top 30 Sox prospect list is out today. Futuresox.com Subscribe to the Future Sox podcast. They also have a Patreon as well. You you lucky dogs. Like we don't we can't do a Patreon uh, on our network. So like I'm I'm really envious of that. I would love to get Herb on a Patreon unfiltered once no. a week. No, <laughs> we'd be canceled. Uh, but thank you guys so much for your time. Uh, we'll be talking to you guys soon. I'm sure you know we'll we'll talk around the deadline, maybe even before that, and maybe talk about some of these guys' progress in camp. But we just thank you guys so much for your time tonight.
3: Thank you guys. It's been great. Yeah, thanks. Hopefully, like in person at an actual baseball game, that would be fantastic.
2: What are those? I, I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what that's like, but yeah, that would be great. We're we're circling Pittsburgh uh, on our calendar oh, yeah. as like it's our uno- unofficial opening day. Like I, I don't think you know Chicago is going to be allowed. You know I don't know if I can afford a uh, you know an exclusive <laughs> opening day event like that. So I've got June in Pittsburgh circled as is Herb. So hopefully uh, we'll see a lot of you guys out there.
3: No, I'm going to do Pittsburgh if I can as well. My wife's family's from there. So that's like one of my favorite cities in the country. I love that place. It
1: is a very underrated city at uh, like, I don't know if people have gone out there who are re- listening right now. Pittsburgh, it's not a steel city and all that stuff that people talk about. It's an awesome city. It just closes like really early. It closes like at 10 o'clock, but otherwise it's an awesome city. So if you can make the seven hour trek down to Pittsburgh, stop in Cleveland too. You get us uh, some, some melt real quick and then leave that city because that's boring. <laughs> Pittsburgh's the place to be. So that is James Fox. Follow him on Twitter at James Fox917 and Mike Rankin is at Rankin 906. Chris Tannehill, thank you for joining me tonight. It was a very pleasurable uh, trip down future socks lane because we don't know anything about these people and it's good to have people who are educated about things that we don't know
2: absolutely. It's which a, is everything absolutely. it's been a great week so far on the show uh, coming up I think we may squeeze out one more episode talk about things going on in spring training a lot, a lot of love being thrown around with Tony La Russa, Tim Anderson, all that stuff and also we got the Sons of Hanarchy episode which is dropping later in the week so a big week for us but we want to thank you guys from future socks and uh, that's all I got Herbie
1: All right. So Chris Tannehill at Chris Tannehill, me Eckner wall 23. And the show is at Locked on Sox. Go and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and at YouTube. You might get a prize pack from Chris Tannehill. So for that man, Chris Tannehill, for James Fox, for Mike Rankin. Thank you for listening
0: to this episode of Locked on Sox.